You know, there are, there are signs for old age. One of them is forgetting your sermon notes in your office. But, uh, you know, I could, uh, I don't think it was too long ago, I couldn't find my glasses because I had them up here. <laughs> and I'm looking all over the place for them, but they're up there. But, uh, you know, as we get older, we don't get things right. God wants us to get things right, doesn't he? Well, that's kind of like what chapter 3 is about, getting things right. Sometimes we get things wrong. We get things wrong about concerning who God is and who we are in Christ. But let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And we'll read on through the 8th verse. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and some claim that we say, let us do evil that God, that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, your truth. Father, give us uh, proper understanding so that we may, be, we may diligently apply what we learn in your word. And Father, whatever feeble attempt I may give today to uh, share this word with people, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will enlighten their minds even in spite of my uh, inability to communicate as I ought to. Father, I just pray that you'll bless this people. Father, may there be uh, an anointing of fresh oil from above upon each person. In Christ's name, amen. So Paul begins this third chapter with a question. And he asks, what, then what advantage has the Jew? And then he immediately goes on to answer his own question. And he says, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. The answer in itself leads us to ask this question. You know, his, his answer leads us to a question. Why did God give to the Jews the writings of Scripture? Of all the people in the world, why did he pick the Jews to give the scripture to first of all. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 29, in the first part of 29, we read this. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. They were given the writings of God because God in his elective purposes saved them. God chose to save them of all the peoples in the world. God put his hand upon this this one insignificant group of people, a small nation. And God chose them out of all the peoples of the world. He chose them that they could have, first of all, the oracles of God, the Scripture. They had in their, in their hands, in scroll, first of all, in oral, in oral tradition and then in, in scroll form. They had the Word of God. It was first in their minds and then their hearts and then in written form. And folks, you have the same thing that you have in your hand, the oracles of God. Of all the people in the world, seven and a half billion people, God has entrusted to you the oracles of God, His Word. It is to be followed. It is to be appreciated. It is to be loved. It is to be read. It's our book of instruction. It's just not a guide to us. It's truth to us. It is what what we live by. They were given the writings of God because God chose those people to be his people because he loved them. In Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, if you look at uh, verses 4 and 5, if you'll turn there with me. Romans 9, 4, and 5. Paul writes, Who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption of sons, and the glory and the covenants and the givings of the law, and giving of the law, and the temple service and the promises? Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh? who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. God gave the Scripture, His oracles, to these people. The Scripture contains God's promises, God's precepts. God's power is found in His Word. It was the Jews who received the oracles of God. That is the Old Testament to them. In the Old Testament, they have the types and the promises and the words of the prophets that speak of Christ who was to and did come. And it was this Christ who with him would bring to all the world, to all tongues, to all tribes, to all nations, to all people, the good news of the gospel. So what are the oracles essentially? How do we understand the oracles? Well, the oracles are the Scripture. They are divine revelation. They are a perfect embodiment of truth. The Scriptures, the oracles of God, are the belt of truth that girds or encircles us, the believers. They are the motivation that directs our steps in our presenting of the good news. It is the support of our faith, 
but which we take to battle against hell's demons in a world filled with hate and greed and evil and an arrogant love for one's own self. That's what we find in the world today. And here we are, of all those people, seven and a half billion, less than a, bil- less than a billion of us, less than a billion of us, who say that we know Christ. And we take this message into the world, a world that's filled with hate and violence, a world that would dismiss us as Christians because of our belief. People look at the Christian church today and they see us as being irrelevant, old-fashioned, distasteful. Back when we were facing this COVID lockdown, do you remember they only kept things open that were essential? Is the church not essential? You are the church. It is for you that Christ died. You are the body of Christ. You have received the oracles of God. You hold them in your hand. You should have them in your heart. They should penetrate into your mind. We should study them, read them, love them, meditate upon them, memorize them. They are the oracles of God. God's word was first delivered into the Jewish hands to be both preserved and to be be transmitted to all the world. They, the Jews, were to be the channel that God would use to bring a word of deliverance to the world. In Isaiah chapter 52, in verse 10, we read, The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. God entrusted to them his word, and they were to be channels of blessing to all the people. And God has entrusted to you and I his word, and we are to be channels of blessing to all the people everywhere. Nothing has changed. You are the new spiritual Israel. You're the spiritual Jew. You are the chosen people. Don't you find it somewhat ironic that God has not called Paul or Peter or James or John or Matthew or Mark or Paul to be his messengers today, but God has chosen you to be his messengers today. For this day and age in which we live, he has chosen you to be his ambassadors his messengers of peace and of hope. God has called you. He's delivered to you the oracles that we call the Word of God. Oh, folks, listen. The whole world is to partake of the benefits of God's redemptive work in Christ, and we are to be the channels by which they hear that Word. God's decreed will shall be accomplished. All of his promises completed. Though there is a generation, a society of people that by their unbelief attempt to prove that God is either non-existent or that God is a liar. But God in his, in his perfection shall ultimately prevail. 
I want you to listen to this. To those who say that there is a, that God is non-existent, there is no God, they make at a minimum, at a minimum, just, just to begin with, they make two fundamental suppositional errors. The first error occurs at the very beginning of the Bible. In the very beginning of the Bible, what do we read in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the, heaven, the heavens and the earth. The denial of the creative work of God causes them to invalidate their own, their own law. They invalidate their own law of cause and effect. This occurs on two points. First, they say that the universe, some say that the universe is eternal. Here then, if the universe is eternal, think of this, if the universe always was, and they say that there is an absolute law, they say, who do not believe in God, they say there's an absolute law of, of, of cause and effect. If the universe is eternal, then what was its cause? They deny their own law. Secondly, they say that the worlds happen by a big bang explosion somewhere in space. Again, where did that matter that exploded come from? Who put it there? It denies, invalidates their own law of cause and effect. Their second error occurs in the fourth gospel. The first one is in Genesis. The second one is in John chapter 1, 1 through 3. That is that the fact that Jesus is both God and creator. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we, we, we might say this, that the Word, who is Jesus Christ, was a being... The Word was a being before the world had a beginning. But now let me show you where both the Jew and Gentile have it wrong. You see, the Jew and the Gentile both are not getting it right. But we want you to get it right. But I want you to do something. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. I want to show you something. I want to show you where, where, where people are wrong. And because people are wrong, they are wrong on the, on the idea that, that Jesus Christ is not God. Let me, show, let me show you in Scripture where both the Gentile and the Jew have dismissed Jesus. In fact, it's part of that new, that what's called natural theology. That, that Christ is not supreme, the first point. The second point, that Christ is not sufficient. And the third point, therefore, Christ is not necessary. That is the new natural theology. That is what people believe who just separate themselves from God altogether. But in John chapter 1, let me just show you this in verses, in verses uh, 10 and 11. It says in verse 10, He was in the world, that's speaking of Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and it says, and the world did not know him. That is the Gentile position. The Gentile position is this. He was in the world. That's it. He came to this world. 
And the people of this world, the people's world, it says over here, look at the bottom, the bottom part, last part of verse 10. And the world did not know him. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. If you look at verse 11, now he speaks about the Jew. In verse 11, it says, he came to his own. Do you see that? He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The Gentile dismisses him. The Jew dismisses him. People today dismiss him. They think, oh, that's just a, that's just a crutch that people need to lean on. Folks, Jesus Christ is our guarantee of eternal life. He's not just a crutch. He's our, he's our, he's our, he's our assurance that heaven is our ultimate destiny. But then, errors on our part will not prevent the faithfulness of God. Even though we, even though we err, we, we deny who God is, we deny who Jesus is, we deny that he's God. Even though that we err, errors on our part will not prevent the faithfulness of God in bringing to pass. Listen, God will bring to pass all that has been written in his word. Why do we know that? Because there is nothing that has been written in this word that if, if a prophet has made a statement and God has spoken that word, has it not come to pass? Has it not come? Folks, but there's still something, there's still something missing. I read in a book of Amos. I don't know, you ought to, listen, folks, if you want to read something really, really that, manifest, that should manifest itself in our minds today is, wow, this is really happening. Go home today or go to wherever you're going to today and look at, at the book of Amos in the Old Testament, Amos chapter 8. And Amos the prophet says this, that there is coming a day when there's going to be a hunger and a thirst in this land, not a hunger for food nor a thirst for water, but a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God, that people will run to and fro to find it, and they'll not find it. Folks, there is coming a day. Listen, there's coming a day when the, when the churches will not be preaching the Word of God. There is going to be an apostasy in the church. Because we feel that we're too big for God. We're too smart for God. Folks, listen. Listen. The day is coming when the church will turn its back on Jesus. Not the real church, but the apostate church. They'll be looking for the word of God, but they'll not find it. You know why? Because the believers of God will be where? Transported up. Listen, I don't like flying. I hate flying. I white knuckle it. But it's going to be so fast, I won't even realize what's happened. I'll be in glory so fast, it'll make my head swim. That day's coming. And what's left, they'll be meeting and they'll say, you know, and, and they'll be taking out the telephone books to preach from it, but there won't be no Bible around. God is faithful to preserve his honor. God is faithful to preserve his honor. He shall do justly in all of his dealings with humanity. 
Because God will not, listen, God will not go against his own attributes of righteousness and holiness and purity and love and faithfulness. An unbelieving heart will use any opportunity to argue with God as to the fairness of his judgment. You see, there, there, are, folks, there are folks that absolutely do not, do not believe, do not believe that God is, that God is fair. So they cry out to God and say, God, we want you to be fair with us. Let me ask you a question. Do you want God to be fair with you? If you want God to be fair with you, you know, I told you about as fast as we're going to be taken out and the church that's left will not be a saved church or be an unregenerate church. If you want God to be fair with you, you'll be taken, instead of being going up, you'll be going down so fast. Because fairness means God judge me on the basis of what I have done. And God says, okay, I'll judge you on the basis of what you have done. If there's one error in your life, one, one sin, one error, you're disqualified. One. Because God looks for perfection. God's not looking for excellence in performance. God's looking for perfection. And if you're that perfect person, please, after this service is over, would you come to my office? I want your autograph. <laughs> they will condemn him who is just in all and any action God should ever take because they're saying, God, you're not being fair. We want you to be fair. They will say exactly that which Paul speaks of in verse 5. That is that God is unrighteous. This, my friends, is that which is determined by a carnal heart. By the way, if you're a Christian, you are not a carnal. You know, I hear, I hear sometimes I hear say people, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm, he's a carnal Christian. There's no such thing. That's like saying he's a lost Christian. I don't even know what that is. If you're carnal, you're lost. Romans 8, 7. He says, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The King James says it this way. Because the carnal mind, the carnal mind is an enmity against God. And then it says, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Do you know why you as a Christian are able to repent? Because you are a Christian. If you, if you as a lost person are walking disobediently toward, from God, do you think that there's even, a, even the idea of repentance in them at all? They don't even know what repentance means. But repentance is a gift that God has given to the Christian. It is, your, it is your ability, because you are a Christian, because you have been made right with Christ, 
right with God through Jesus Christ. That you're, you're supposed to be walking in faith, but if you don't walk in faith, guess what God does? God convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, 8, he convicts you of sin and righteousness. And then he turns you around. That's repentance. That turnaround is repentance. And you start walking by faith. If it is not of faith, it is sin. The scripture says, if it's not of faith, it is sin. So now you can walk in faith again because you are a repentant person. It is God's gift to you. It's not to the lost person. Those people need to get saved. They need to get saved. Repentance is a gift given to the Christian. So say, so, well, pastor, don't you have to repent to be saved? Well, let me tell you something. In order for that person to want to repent, the heart needs to turn first. If the heart isn't turned toward God, there's not going to be a sense of repentance. The heart that is first turned to God is given a gift of repentance. When that heart is turned to God, guess what happens? The first thing they know, when they see God, then they begin to see who they are. How do I know this? Isaiah. You look at the, uh, the sixth chapter of, of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lift up. The chain of his robe filled the temple. You remember that? And then here's Isaiah. What happens to Isaiah? He sees God. He sees God seated on a throne, majestically enthroned in glory. And then what does he see? He sees what a worm he is. Folks, you will never be saved until, first of all, you have a glimpse of God, and then you have a glimpse of who you are. God comes first. Not you, not me. God comes first. You see who God is, and then you'll see who you are. And then your heart is broken, is melted. It becomes contrite. It's broken like baby potter. It's in a zillion pieces. It's like this, all the sands on the seashore. And God takes that softened heart and he molds it into a heart that loves him. It isn't because we're cute. Actually, spiritually, we're pretty ugly. We're pretty ugly. Anything, anything that would even suggest that God is without honor and that he acts unjustly and acts without total holiness should bring a person to shudder at even the idea of it. Should anyone even begin to approach such a thought and then verbalize that thought, that person must receive from us a, a, a thundering, a thundering voice that says, Get thee behind me, Satan. That God would be unjust. That God would not be right. That God would be less than honorable. That God would not be faithful in doing all that he does. In verses 6 through 8, Paul is to be understood as saying that, how could we begin to think that God would somehow be provoked to wrath if we would so foolishly believe that the more 
the more we sin, this is, this is what you're saying, the more we sin, then the more he can demonstrate his grace and glory. Isn't that stupid? They're saying, well, listen, am I to understand, Paul, that you're saying that the more we sin, the more we sin, the better it is. Because the more we sin, then the more grace we see. And in a sense, using today's vernacular, Paul would say, do it like I was just born today. No, that's not what he's saying. Look at verse 6. It says, may it never be, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? That is, if God says that sin promotes glory, then why would God judge anybody? He should go, whoa, more sin, more grace. That's wonderful. Well, that's ridiculous. Verse 8. He says, and why not say, as we are slanted reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. It's the same thing. Should we sin more? Should we act more wickedly? Of course, if you watch the news, it looks like we're doing a great job. Should we do more of that so more grace can be manifested? No. How should we act? How should we look? How should we talk? How should we think? In every way that pleases God. You know, folks, listen. We may act, listen, we may really look spiritual on Sunday, but how in the world do we look like Monday through Saturday? If this is the best we are, if today, right now, is the best we are, then why are we not at our best the rest of the days of the week? As I stated earlier, the only reason why God permits sin to remain in us, that is, it remains in us as a principle of sin, and at the same time does not condemn us, is because we are under the benefit of the substitutionary work of Christ. You know, there, there are folks that do not believe that Jesus died in, in our place. He died because it was, a, it was a moral thing to do. He died to, to show God's love. No, he didn't. He died because we're a bunch of sinners and we needed to be redeemed. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. He didn't. As an example, what, there are people that believe that Jesus died as an example. An example of what? How much pain you can bear? Not an example. Not to prove love, but to show us what sin looks like. He made him to be sin, the scripture says, who knew no sin. What you see in the crucifixion is your sin and my sin. That's what sin looks like, that's what sin deserves. But Jesus, for you, the church, his people, Jesus bore your sin on the cross so that you were not to bear it. God justified himself when Christ went to the cross that God's wrath was assuaged. 
This is what God wants to do to sin and to sinners. That's what God wants to do. But God, in doing it to Christ, had put you, the church, in that place. So now when God sees you, the church, he says, that's my people. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my child. They all belong to me. He doesn't condemn you. Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Folks, even though you sin, even though you sin, it's been paid for in full. There is something called the, the a forensic act of God where, where God declares you, because you are in Christ, God declares you to be righteous, even though we're a bunch of worms. God has declared us to be righteous. Jesus bore both our sins and the Father's wrath in our place on Calvary's cross. The judgment of sin, our sin, was placed upon him. The curse of sin, our sin, was placed upon him. The death due to sin, our sin, was placed upon him. On Calvary's cross, the Savior of our souls gave his life so that we, the sinner, may have life. His life for mine and his life for yours. So we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I close with this. Listen to this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become, listen to this, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God sees, listen, when God sees his church, he sees righteousness because he's declared it to be so because of the great price that Jesus Christ has paid. Listen, folks, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried in a grave fashioned out of stone. He lay there from Friday till Sunday. And on that Sunday morning, while it was still dark, an angel of God come and moved that stone away. And the lightning, dazzling light of Jesus burst forth out of that tomb. Resurrected from the dead by the power of God. He ascended into glory. He's seated at God's right hand. And you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's waiting to come back to take you. He's going to take you, his church. You'll be caught. If we should live that long, if we should live that long, if there's going to be a rapture, he's going to take us. If not, when we close our eyes for the last time in sleep, the next time we open them, we'll be with Christ in glory. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? That's, that's good news. That's good news. I want to ask you this as we close today. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Do you know him? Do you know him? 
I didn't say that you know about him. I'm not asking if you read your Bible. I'm not asking if you're a member of the, I don't care if you're a member of this church or not. It doesn't matter to me if you're a member of this church or not. What matters to me is do you know Jesus Christ? Don't tell me you've been baptized. That, listen, all that, if, if you don't know Jesus, that just got you wet. Do you know Jesus Christ? Is he here? Is he here?